what is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome back to another edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. We got Jays jumpers, Jaron Jackson Juniors, John Morantz, Joe Johnsons, John Rafts, of course. We've got Jays we got for Days. Josh, how you doing? First, would you like to join me in personally thanking the 38 AP voters who kept Purdue number one? I was ta- I was I was texting with somebody this morning. I would love to talk to the 22 people who picked Houston and get their explanation as to why. What about the two people that picked Alabama and Arizona respectively? I don't have any interest in talking to people with that little intelligence and logic. So I'll just talk to the 22 people that had Houston. I don't have any interest in talking to the other people though. I, you know, that's a waste of time. That's that's people trying too hard. Uh, completely because yeah. and and all 24 of those people can't come up with a reason that i have any respect for That's zero probably right yeah just you can't go from unanimous number one and lose by five at a top 20 team and maybe right. the hardest place to play in the country right now when it's rocking yeah and and then lose the respect of 22 people when houston beat like wichita state and temple last week yeah no, I'm, okay. I'm right there with you. We addressed this. So I wanted to bring it back up full circle because we saw this coming beforehand. At least at least there's number one. Second, I'm becoming very – and I'm curious for your thoughts on this. It, we're in this weird space where there are you know these other top 15 matchups to talk about and number one lost. So we're not going to get to dive into Duke, North Carolina too much. I'm getting real interested in Derek Lively as an NBA prospect because <laughs> what he did in that game – is incredibly valuable without, I mean, obviously, without scoring the basketball. That dude just dominated the area right underneath the basket. <laughs> I mean, what was it, eight blocks? In, I'm, I'm getting very curious because, right, these two guys just, for a variety of reasons, it just hasn't happened for this freshman class. But mm-hmm. he won them that game. He didn't do anything offensively. I think he had four points. One of them was a dunk and one of them was a putback dunk off an offensive rebound, if I remember correctly. But I want that dude on my team because that dude is one of the few players. And right. He, I mean, he's built to play in today's NBA outside of the offensive limitations and the fact he can't stretch the floor, but I've become just watching that game. I'm, I'm fascinated if somebody's going to look at him and say kind of the same James, James Wiseman thing of right. That dude's athletic enough to hang defensively look at what he can do or is it the offensive limitations are too much I'm, I'm becoming intrigued by this this is going to be something i want to follow all the way through the draft with all due respect you just said he has an nba ready game and then pointed to the two <laughs> things that everybody will have on their list why he's not nba ready. right right um he was super impressive and you know of course this is the type of conversation that comes as a result but that like he's not good enough offensively to be drafted high. He's just not right, like, which like, is where you can because, look at that and say he can do that in the NBA, right? My thing mm-hmm. is how valuable is that because that's probably all you're getting. Yeah, and it's it's I mean it's not it's not valuable. It's just not. It's I mean it's the same reason why I mean Zach Eady, yeah, he's seven four, but there are obvious reasons why he has why he lacks NBA value. And I mean, like James Wiseman going as poorly as it has gone is a bad thing help. for Derek Lively. Right. Exactly. Bad thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because you're depending on him to basically. You're depending on him to be elite defensively, because if he's not, he's not right. worth my pick. Right. Exactly. And, mm-hmm. and, and James Wiseman went from that guy can be elite defensively to that dude is lost defensively in the NBA. And even a guy like Evan Mobley, who immediately became an offensive, a, a defensive anchor on an NBA team the minute he stepped onto an NBA floor, still people can't have a conversation about, about him without saying, man, but if he, if he really starts to develop a consistent three-point shot, then he's really scary. You mm-hmm. can't even have a conversation about Mobley. And, and expecting Lively to be as good as Mobley defensively oh, no. is just no. unfair. Yeah. So, like... Like, do I wish that a guy like Lively and, you know, to a further extent, we'll get to these two guys, but guys like Edie and guys like Trace Jackson Davis had more NBA value? Yeah, but I also understand why they don't. Yeah. And it's, 
it's it's a dangerous game to draft a guy who you're only convinced can be a lead up it can can be really good at one thing in the nba yep. because if he's not then you have nothing to fall back on right? and especially I mean, when that thing is not shooting <laughs> right i mean marcus smart was not drafted fifth overall or whatever it was to be a defensive no player of the year right yeah. i mean sometimes <clears throat> those things happen but that's not i mean if if they if you'd have told the celtics did you get drafted by the celtics or did you get traded to celtics I believe the Celtics drafted. I think you I think you got drafted by the Celtics. Anyway, but if you told the Celtics that what you were going to get out of Marcus Smart more than anything is just a, a backcourt defender, they probably wouldn't have drafted him fifth overall, mm-hmm. which is unfortunate. But he was he was spectacular. It was it was the best I'd seen. And Filipowski's had a spectacular year, and that was still the best I'd seen a Duke player look at his position and the thing he does the best. All season. He was super elite in that game. Sixth overall to the Celtics. For Sixth overall to the Celtics. Yeah, okay. yeah I just... Because I'm, I'm with you on all of this, right? I, I don't see any way in which he's a lottery pick. I'm just fascinated by what is the actual... When we get into, you know, how the rest of the season goes, kind of after March Madness, what is the evaluation? What is the projection for him? Mm-hmm. And what is that conversation like? Because... There just aren't very very many people. Zach Eady can't even do what he did in that game. No. But also, if that's all he can do, right? Is he a, is he a first round pick? Is he a second round pick? Is he bordering on the lottery? I'm I'm just fascinated by this now. For all yeah, the reasons I, you laid out, you know it's it's interesting too because that's like there's another big tall guy on this team that is the guy who kind of is like the stretch the floor guy and mm-hmm. the offensive big man, which is why the two can play on the floor mm-hmm. together. So maybe an NBA team can talk themselves into, well, he just didn't get any, like he was just a, a dunker spot guy because Filipowski was the big guy that was in the main mm-hmm. focus of all of their offense as, you know, in in relation to what the big guy is doing to try to get a shot. And right. Derek Lively is just kind of the anchor on the other end and in the dunker spot. And like you said, he had a dunk and a putback dunk. Those were his, I mean, that's his job on the offensive end is to get five offensive rebounds, create more possessions, get a putback dunk or two. That's not, it's not his job to go out and shoot 14 times like Filipowski did in this game. So maybe yeah. a team feels like they see something there that they can, that they can get 10 points a game out of them. But I'm just I'm just not sure that's enough for you to get drafted before twentieth in the draft. Maybe because I could yeah I could see somebody talking themselves into it. Not that I would agree with it because I'm generally with you. I just this that's all I could think about watching that game is I just really wonder what this is going to do draft stock wise. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Big college basketball weekend. So much. some good games, some good games to put it to put it mildly. <laughs> Duke UNC was was kind of the (laughs) nightcap that nobody was really talking about except ESPN shoving it down your throat until the end of the day when the game actually started. I think, I mean, I know there's an obligation there almost to, for the, for game day to be at Duke or UNC when Duke and UNC are playing on a Saturday. But the fact that it wasn't at IU, I think was kind of crazy to be honest with you, but it was it was a nightcap that nobody, you know, generally it's, man, we got, and we got Duke and UNC at the end of the night. It wasn't even really like that. It was, oh, right. The seven o'clock, eight o'clock slot. That's Duke UNC. Nice. Takes us into St. Mary's and Gonzaga. But, um, but nonetheless, when, when Duke and UNC is not necessarily the headliner of a college basketball Saturday, and then it still delivers a, a close game, basically down to the, to the wire, it's a, um, it's a pretty good Saturday. The last thing I'll say is that every time I watch UNC closely, Pete Nance is not Brady Manic. No. <laughs> um and and this is not anything new, but but I think we we either gave Pete Nance too much credit coming into the season or didn't give Brady Manic enough. Or how about and, both? <laughs> or maybe it's both. Yeah. Because sometimes Pete Nance just completely disappears. And he's never carrying an offense to give you 25 points the way Manning could. No. But he also, you know, he was one of 10 for two points against against Duke. 
And I mean, there are plenty of reasons why UNC is not anywhere near the team that they were supposed to be coming into the season. But that's certainly one of them. Yep. All righty. It's a Monday. Winners and losers. We'll get to IU Purdue and some of the Big 12 action specifically here in a moment. But first, winners and losers, what do you got? You already mentioned my winner, St. Mary's. Man, we're so boring. It's okay. <laughs> I, was... I it's okay. I cheated on my loser, so it'll be okay. it'll be fun. It'll spark conversation. Okay. And I was thinking about this kind of big picture as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Me too. <laughs> we'll see if we're going along the same lines here, right? So, okay, you beat San San Francisco at home. Good job, St. Mary's. And then, of course, Gonzaga. This team is undefeated in twenty twenty three. This team now has a two-game lead in the West Coast Conference. So they are, regardless of what happens, they are in control. Even right, Gonzaga cannot do anything to catch them. This is St. Mary's to lose. And then, and this was kind of always the mental hurdle I had. And as St. Mary's continues to win game after game, they're also getting resume help here. And now have five top 75 Kempom wins because Oral Roberts isn't losing. North Texas is having a great season. San Diego State's obviously having a really good season. BYU is a borderline top 75 Kempom team. And now you have your marquee win in Gonzaga. It's not only that St. Mary's continues to pile up wins. It's also that their resume just keeps looking better and better because some of those non-conference wins are against those teams that you don't get a lot of credit for beating. And then you look up and you go, well, my goodness, they beat two other conference champions who are having really good seasons and Ken Palm also likes and the metrics also like and are going to be, you know, 12, 13 seeds, not 15, 16 seeds come NCAA tournament time. Mm-hmm. So that's part of this as well. Just St. Mary's is building. I've always had an, had an issue with how much Ken Palm loves them, but the resume is is getting to a point where you can't argue with it. Can I ask why? I guess I just wanted to see. I don't. Play I, don't necessi- I don't. I, I don't necessarily disagree with you. I'm just that's a that's a very niche thing to be upset with Kim Palm about. I just have. A, I guess I just have a mental hurdle with viewing them as a top ten team in the country, especially before they had played Gonzaga. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, the, the, there's a big difference between you know what were they seventh or eighth or something and fifteenth. Because they're clearly a top 25 team and probably, and you know, I've got no issue with saying much better than that. It's it's just one thing to kind of have, okay, they got a good win over San Diego State. The other wins were, like I said, good. It's one thing to beat Oral Roberts in North Texas. It's another thing to beat Gonzaga, to potentially run the table in WCC play. It's now, I'm starting to changing my opinion on this the longer it goes i thought ken palm kind of jumped to that conclusion too early i guess is my answer and still they're seven and two in quad one and two and have one less win in those two quadrants than gonzaga and two fewer losses so it's it's entirely yeah it's entirely possible ken palm is right and i was wrong (laughs) (laughs) they're my winner because there's like like you said i mean they're they now have a two-game cushion on gonzaga with one of those games already under their belt. And it's not a complete cakewalk because Gonzaga plays five of their five of their last seven, four of their last six. St. Mary's plays four of their last six games on the road and Gonzaga plays five of their last seven at home. So there's there's space to slip up, but also I don't have I have plenty of faith in the St. Mary's team that is 21 and four and has the country's second longest active winning streak to not stumble coming down the stretch. And they'll probably lose at Gonzaga. I mean, I would bet on them to lose at Gonzaga, but I mean, it's been a while since they were projected to lose by one in Spokane. (laughs) So um, if that tells you anything, of course, that's also a Kim Palm projection, but yeah, it's, it's been a while since they've had a like it, it, the conversations we're having on February 6th a lot with the WCC is, you know, it's been like a couple of years ago last year, a couple of years ago, it was San Francisco's like, man, San Francisco and like, mm, San Francisco and Gonzaga still have to play twice. 
but it's more of a hypothetical. And then San Francisco loses to somebody that mm-hmm. on paper they shouldn't. And this is the first time that not only does Gonzaga not have a, a stranglehold on the conference with a month left in the regular season, the team that does have a stranglehold on the conference is arguably better than Gonzaga right. is. And both of those things existing simultaneously hasn't happened for a little while. Yeah. So that's why this is different. And that's why that when, when it comes to the WCC, and the regular season race was so important for St. Mary's. Yeah. Cause you, you know, usually it's look at what you got with Gonzaga. Look at the depth of this conference, right? You got two or three really good teams behind them as well. Show respect to the WCC. It's not just Gonzaga. I've always been big on that. This conference is better top to bottom than people give it credit for, but mm-hmm. you're absolutely right. This is a, this is a different conversation. This is which one of these two teams is actually the best team in this conference. And who knows the last time we had that conversation. <laughs> yeah. Hundred percent. Who's your loser? Clemson. Okay. Scored fifty four points in a loss at Boston College, then lost at home to Miami in a week where Virginia also went to Virginia Tech and lost. Mm-hmm. And so now you have a jumbled mess where okay, Clemson has the ten and three ACC record, so they're winning the conference because of the win column. But you now have five other teams with either the three losses or four losses. So within one game in the loss column. And, you know, Brevin Galloway was out for a little bit, but he came back for the Miami game. And they're in this weird spot where, you know, they're kind of putting themselves back onto the bubble with a week like this. Not that they're on the bubble yet. They're still on the right side of it. And then also, if they don't win the ACC regular season title, this is probably the week you look back on as the explanation why. Not that either of these are catastrophic in their own right, but if you want to hold on to your lead with a Duke team surging, with Virginia still there, with Pitt hanging around, you got to score more than 54 points at Boston College, or you got to take care of business at home against one of the other good teams in the ACC in Miami that's right there trying to take the regular season title from you. And so it just kind of this, this up and down sort of very strange season Clemson is having continues with with a, a bad week that has kind of reopened up the ACC. So they're my loser. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm as far as I'm concerned, Clemson being the loser is the, is a winner for everybody else. Cause now we're a month out and there are, you know, Duke is a game out in the loss column. Right. And then there are four other teams that are closer than that. Right. That's spectacular because quite frankly, I can't think of anything more boring than Clemson running away with the ACC. It's like Webb Simpson <laughs> running away with the players and winning by six. Like I don't 10 days left in the regular season and Clemson's two and a half games ahead of everybody. Cause they won last night. <laughs> that sounds horrible. So I am, I, you know, I think, you know, this is a team that, that shot it really well in the, in non-conference and, and early in conference play, and they've kind of taken a step back offensively. Um, they're playing really good defense in, in conference play, but they're, you know, bottom five, bottom four in the conference and in offensive efficiency, they're 12th in the conference in three-point field goal percentage. This is a team that is still inside the top 60 in three-point field goal percentage. Um, so, you know, this is a team that, ultimately is has always been beatable and had done a good job winning whether it's games that they were just supposed to i mean you know their first six games seven games of conference play the best team that they played was duke i guess and duke is you know better as of late but still not exactly inspiring Mm -hmm. and the last you know two and a half weeks or so you know they lost three of their last six and three of those losses have been to teams that, right, it's either you just need to get a win against Miami at home if you're going to win the ACC, and the other two were tough road losses to Wake Forest and Boston College. And so we've kind of gone, we've kind of reverted back to the median, I feel like, a little bit with with Clemson, and they aren't getting, you know, because early in conference play, you know, it was you get a three-point win over Tech, a one-point win over Pitt, Um And so you kind of you you won a lot of these really close games, and even in the middle of this stretch, a one point win over Tech again, and a one point win over Florida State, and this week they weren't able to come out on the right mm-hmm. side of things. Yeah. 
it's still it's still there for them to take. Mm. It's just gotten a lot more interesting. Um, they play four of their last seven on the road. Uh, the re- their schedule remaining looks like the following: North Carolina, Florida State, North Carolina on the road, Florida State at home, Louisville on the road, Syracuse at home, NC State, and Virginia on the road, and then they finish with Notre Dame at home. Notre Dame has fallen all the way to 172 at Kempom, by the way. Just an awful basketball team. Awful. 289th in the country defensively. That's a power Yikes. five conference team. 289th. It's impressively bad. It really is. Um, my and I don't know how to I don't know how to word this. But basically, my loser is us for having to listen to old as dirt college basketball coaches complain about how things work in college basketball now. <laughs> like I'm glad like, to get to ad- to address this. I was gonna bring it up at the end. Like like can Beheim freaking retire? Because because like if you're like Pitt and Wake Forest and all these other <laughs> ACC teams, they didn't do anything wrong. They went out and used the rules of college basketball to their advantage. And they are working harder than you are. So stop the whining. It drives me crazy. Roy Williams didn't want to deal with it. He retired. Kay didn't want to deal with it. He retired. Retire. Nobody gives a crap about Syracuse anymore. Nobody cares about your 2-3 zone, and all you've been known for in the last 10 years is finding a way to get to the tournament despite losing 14 times. Nobody cares. Nobody. Retire. You're irrelevant. And you just being sad that you can't do the same thing and, and, and kind of wander into the same gyms over and over and over again and get like border, like mediocre at best recruits because they can go somewhere else and get paid to do it. You are like, cry me a river. Cry me a river. <laughs> like, it's pathetic. It is genuinely. And Izzo, Izzo the other day complaining that the, it's hard to stop Zach Eady. Yeah. Like, you should retire too. You're an old bag of bones that does nothing but complain. I'm over. I'm over the old coaches in, in college basketball. Completely over it. You don't like it? Leave. Leave. I'm. I'm. I'm so. I'm so over it. Like you. Like it is pathetic. It is pathetic. Your job got harder. You get paid forty million dollars a year to do it. Do it anyways. Or or pay the thirty-seven year old assistant to to grind in the gyms. They'll go do it for you. But stop complaining. Stop. I'm sorry that Steve Forbes is a better basketball coach than you are. I'm sorry that Jeff Capel is a better basketball coach than you are. But shut up. I'm so, I'm so over it. And then you get you walk it back and act like you're holier than thou because you called Steve Forbes at 2:30 in the morning to apologize. Yeah, sure. I'm over it. Over, <laughs> over it, over it, over it. And Syracuse couldn't be more relevant, which makes it even better. My, my two favorite parts of this are one <laughs> that it's one thing to, to point out something about Miami and the way that that has gone down, but to just rope Pitt <laughs> and Wake Forest in there. Pitt, who's been like one of the, like, <laughs> se- like having a right. good season, but one of the seven worst, major, like, high major programs the last six years. Right. And when, you know, when you think NIL might and big college basketball brands, you think, I mean, Pitt obviously has a great tradition and Wake Forest, I mean, they both actually do. But right, you're, you're not. We're not talking about Kentucky and Kansas. We're not. This is Duke and North Carolina here, right? Yeah. <laughs> These are just random ACC schools. And then the other part of it that I always love is, I believe somewhere in the the apology was a I, that was never my intention. Yeah, which <laughs> then raises the important question of, well, what was your intention? Because mm-hmm. it seemed pretty clear <laughs> what you were that, saying. That's like me shaking, taking a chicken nugget off of your off of your plate at lunch eating it and then when you get mad me saying me eating your chicken nugget wasn't my wasn't intention. intention right that's become one of my new favorites when that that comes out in statements that are just so obviously i mean there is there, where is the lack of clarity the miscommunication there yeah <laughs> yeah Thank you for well, coming to my touch. I'm glad you were I'm able so, to get that off like, your I'm chest. I'm so over it. Like, like there's, I have a list of college coaches who could just disappear into <laughs> into the the abyss. And Jim Beheim is in bold black Comic Sans 256 size font at the top of it. Congratulations! You'll be known for about nothing else other than Carmelo Anthony in your zone. Good job.
and complaining when your job got harder. Cry me a river. That's all I've got. Winners and losers. We we certainly won't talk about Syracuse anymore on the podcast <laughs> and winners and losers because what they do is irrelevant from here on out. Um, but we will continue to do winners and losers as we get closer and closer to the end of the college basketball season and move towards Selection Sunday. We're like 35 days away at this point. Yeah. Something like that. It's definitely less than 40. That seems way too close. It's, I think, March 12th. I think March 12th uh, is the is the actual Sunday date. So very, very close. That's winners and losers every Monday on the pod. Okay, my heart rate is is back is is getting back to a more normal heart rate. Um whose heart rate wasn't normal? Um everybody in the building at IU and Purdue. <laughs> Absolute zoo. Um Really cool, by the way, IU and Purdue sold out at Assembly Hall on on Saturday. IU and Purdue at Mackey for the women's game mm-hmm. also sold out on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And there were students lining up, wrapping around the building. Matt Painter was there for the, for the Purdue women's game right after losing an away game the day before. So um, w, w weekend for college basketball in the state of Indiana, W weekend. Um, but specifically for our conversation, Indiana 79-74 win over Purdue at Assembly Hall. They were up by 15 at halftime, and then things got really interesting. Zach Eady, even in the loss, reminding people that he is, in fact, the best player in the, the country. 33-18 and 18 on 15 of 19. Trace Jackson Davis was spectacular in the first half. Jalen Huchifino had a really, really nice game. Uh, and especially in the second half at 12 of his 16 after halftime and, and, and kind of got the bucket that sealed things. Um, let's, let's start here before we get into the game is like, this is really high up there on the list of how, uh, of how fun the rivalry is when both of these teams are good. I mean, this this rivalry is always good, and the UNC Duke rivalry is always good, regardless of. I mean, that game on Saturday night was awesome, and neither team was ranked. But when there's number one buzz, when there's anticipation, like Indiana, just in general this season, um, this rivalry always delivers. And I, maybe it's the buildings that they play in because Mackey and and Assembly Hall are just elite environments. But this is a this is a spectacular rivalry spectacular absolutely yeah and it's it gets to that extra level where it's not you know ncaa tournament hopeful indiana trying to knock off big 10 title contender purdue it's right exactly what you were saying two top 25 teams two really good basketball teams the iu fan base is is back sort of fully invested and confident in their team as opposed to being just hopeful Mm-hmm. It takes it to that whole nother level. That that's what you got, yeah. And props to you. You kind of laid out the blueprint. I mean, right? Trace Jackson Davis did his thing. Hutchifino, Trey Galloway were good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you played great defense, and there you go. Yep. Is it going to happen every game? Well, that's the question. <laughs> and the answer is no. And it's not going to happen not, every yeah. game. But. And on the other side of things, it was, it was, I mean, they, they stopped doubling Zach Eady at halftime and it was just kind of a, we're just going to let him score and hope that nobody else does anything. And that's pretty much what you got. I mean, he had 15 of their 29 field goals. Braden Smith was one of eight from the field, Fletcher lawyer, four of 12. And you just kind of let Zach Eady do his thing. And whether it was a timely shot here or there, they were only six of 18 from the three point line, 10 of 17 from the foul line. Um, they just didn't quite get enough. They being Purdue from the guys not named Zach Eady to win on the road at Indiana. They almost did. I mean, Zach Eady was almost that good that they, they were able to claw back into this game, but IU doing just barely enough. And Jalen Huchifino, what you're right, when those backcourt guys are good, and when Huchifino in particular is good, then IU gets gets much, much scarier. Right? It just feels like there's so much to handle. And they were so physical. They, they're generally physical, but they were so physical in this game, especially out of the gates. 
And that combined with the environment, Purdue looked shell-shocked early in the game. They just looked like it was like, wow, this is not the Breslin Center. And and it took them just too, it took too long to, to recalibrate, uh, to use a word that Matt Painter used after the game. We, we, it took us until halftime to recalibrate. And at that point, you can't give a team like IU at Assembly Hall 15 points. If you give right. them 10, then, you know, simple math, you're going to overtime. So, but giving them 15 is, is a really, really deep hole to climb out of that they weren't quite able to, put, to, to get themselves out of. Which is where I want to kind of push back on the second half strategy for IU. I mean, it it didn't work. No, <laughs> they got it didn't. thoroughly outplayed in the second half. Yes, they did. Edie just got his hook shot whenever he wanted. Yeah, because they stopped doubling. And which is where I get back to the fact that they still nearly won this game is proof that Purdue is the best team in the country. They had an awful first half. They turned the ball over a bunch. Eleven they times, were, I believe. Yeah, they in the first half. They weren't ready. And like you said, you got everything you needed, right? They didn't play well in the first half. IU got all the role players. Trace Ashton Davis was spectacular. You lay that set of circumstances out, Purdue's not winning that game. Mm-hmm. But how often are you going to get that set of circumstances happening? Because just about everything went wrong, and Purdue still almost won. Mm-hmm. And it looked like for a hot second there, they were going to. And then to Indiana's credit, they made just enough shots at kind of important junctures to to never let Purdue, you know, sort of take the lead and take complete control. It was always, they were sort of clawing their way back in, but they never got all the way there. And then, yeah, Huchafiner kind of kind of finished it. That and Braden Smith's turnover, which is... Did you see Zach Eadie's thing? Yes. The other, this is the other thing I want to... Can I get on my soapbox for a second? Please. <laughs> I saw the word leadership get thrown a lot, thrown around a lot with that. And also shout out to our friend Kelly Hallinan. For, yeah, she's for very good at up. social media. She's very good at social media. Yeah, she's doing yeah. a great job up there at West Lafayette. I saw a bunch of leadership attached to it, and yes, that's correct. But stopping at leadership does a disservice to what happened on that podium, and it does a disservice to Matt Painter, which is where I want to get with this. Brayden Smith also completely owned his turnover, right? He didn't shy away from it. He explained what happened and just said, I think his explanation was basically it was there and then it wasn't. And I just waited too long to make the pass, which he's a freshman playing at assembly hall. It happens. And then, right. Edie takes the microphone and basically says, well, the rest of us were terrible in the first half. And that's also part of the reason why we lost this game. It's not just that one play, which is a testament to Edie's leadership. But there's also the cultural aspect of this. Which is, right, leadership is the relationship part. The culture part is the expectations. That stuff happens because that's what's expected within Matt Painter's program. Mm -hmm. It's it's a credit to Edie, a credit to Smith, right? These guys are bought in. It's why they're so good, even though they're less talented than last season. Matt Painter finds guys who buy into what he's doing. That's why he doesn't care about rankings. The larger point I want to get to with this before, instead of just going on and on, because I talk about this stuff all day, is just... Purdue fans, if this team loses in the Sweet 16 and then you go calling for Matt Painter to be fired again, Hmm. I don't want to hear the same people who are praising that response from Edie and that behavior within the program then saying you want Matt Painter fired because results aren't good enough. If you want this to be your program, then stop getting on Matt Painter. This is why Purdue is so good. This is why there are expectations. This is why they're the number one team in the country. You can't have it both ways. I'm going to be real upset if we have to go do this defend Matt Painter thing. Matt Painter thing again. That's I really all. hope we don't. I really I hope also, we don't I also, just, I also just don't think that there's... like. Purdue lost the game because they played this game at Assembly Hall. Oh yeah, one hundred percent. I'm like, I'm not sure there's anybody that can stop Edie to a to a good enough extent on a neutral site to beat Purdue. I'm not sure there is. I'm not sure there's anybody that can stop Edie. Period. Purdue beat them beat themselves. Right, right. Well, that that's my point. Is that yeah. they that, and I would argue that Assembly Hall beat them. Th- that could that's certainly part of it. Yeah, sure. 
but I'm not sure. Like, like Purdue is rock solid almost all the time, which is why the first half was so surprising because they mm-hmm. were not rock solid. Yeah. And Painter was 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 very transparent after the game that he said, like I like like they knew that this was going to be different. Like we had we had talked about it all week and we were really physical in practice and that kind of thing and trying to replicate something so that they weren't quite so shell shell shocked and it was and and it just wasn't quite enough. Whatever they did, it just wasn't quite enough, which you know. It's impossible, right? It's like trying to replicate guarding Zach Eady. It's impossible. Right. <laughs> right. Um, but the point being that I'm not sure that there's any team in the country that can do enough I that kid that can stop Zach Eady to a large enough degree to beat Purdue on a neutral court. Because if Purdue can almost claw back into this game. Yep. Then, then I'm not sure. Then, then they're going to be able to claw back into anything, or just not be not be shell shocked against anybody on a neutral site. So we'll see. But the thing that's different for me this year versus all other Purdue teams is that you cannot like you you can't depend on their best player having an off shooting night, <laughs> right? I mean, like. Carson, the idea like, of that happening is laughable. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's just not going to happen. And off shooting night is 50%. Right. <laughs> like he goes t- 10 of 20 from the field and you're like, man, he didn't really have it tonight. 10 of 20, 24 and 16, man. <laughs> I mean, Painter has literally said that in a press conference this year. 24 and 16, he was just all right tonight. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, right. He was just all right. <laughs> and he saw 24 and 16. And 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 in years past, right? One, they play defense way better yes. than any other Purdue team has played defense. Yeah. Two, like like Jaden Ivey is a high volume, low efficiency scorer. That's what he does. Mm-hmm. And and you know the teams that had you know your your Dakota Mathias, um, help me, Vince Edwards, Vince Edwards, and who yeah, was, the was, somebody, other? was the somebody point else? Guard? Who was the point guard? Tom. PJ Thompson? Thompson. PJ Thompson. Um, like like that team would also like Isaac Haas was of course great, but like those teams didn't function like this one did. No, and so I also so I really hope that we don't have to be that we don't have to have that conversation. I also think that it's ludicrous for any program fans of any program after your team wins multiple games in the tournament to ask to to call for coaches firing i think it's crazy town and and i'm pretty confident it's a minority of purdue fans they're loud though but you and i both know they exist yeah yeah it's ridiculous that was that painter i'll take Matt painter please yeah just it's more than leadership it's what purdue is it's why they're great right that's the expectation matt painter expects his players to behave that way and they buy in because they get it it's not just Edie. It's a commentary on the larger picture. And you saying you want Matt Painter fired is saying you don't want a program that runs that way. Mm-hmm. Um, the last thing I'll add here is that, like, if like if I'm Trace Jackson Davis, I'm eating, sleeping, and breathing Demontis Sabonis until until I begin my NBA career. <laughs> like that is like that is the path for Trace Jackson Davis. His 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 stats this year and Sabonis's last year at Gonzaga are almost identical. Um, now Trace has zero outside game right now, and Sabonis tried to like sprint. He took like fifteen threes in his last year at, at Gonzaga. Trace has taken three in all four years at IU. So like, it would be a like it would be a big leap to turn Trace into the to just the semi outside threat that Sabonis is at this point. He's taking like right. a, a three, like just like 1.1 threes per game right now in the NBA. But the way trace passes, the way trace plays yep. defense, the way the, the decision-making he has like high pick and roll, make a good pass at the free throw line. You know, he's, he's physical. He's tough. Like, like I, I think there is a path for trace Jackson Davis to have a successful NBA career. Yep. And, but I think that's where, it needs to start. And of course he's a, he's ultimately a undersized for his position in the NBA forward and he'll need 
to to expand his game. He'll need to, but I think it's possible. And I think like he does everything else so well that even just like even the 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 opposing team having to have like a half thought that he might shoot it and might make it would would be would do wonders for him in the NBA. But every time I watch him play, he just does too many things well to to at least not to, to at least not have a a very real chance of having a a prolonged NBA career. Let's just watch. extend it to the elbow. Right. Yeah. Just give just, me something outside of the paint. Right. Just have the even if it's a Duncan. You're right. Even if it's a Duncan like elbow, elbow jumper or something. It right, doesn't necessarily right. have to be a three, but just no. give me something. Yeah. Just to make people think when you set a pick, what is going to happen? Right. Right. To be able to stretch it that way. Yeah. No, I love that comparison. That's that's really good. I'm right there with you that somebody needs to give him a shot, and he yeah he's a special athlete on top of everything else, and also. Life's going to get a little bit easier when every team is not trying to double and triple team you all the time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's that part of it too. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Alrighty. Big 12 games. I have a couple of them here. Would you like to start with Texas and Kansas state or Kansas and Iowa state? Let's start Iowa state, Kansas, Iowa state 68, 53 win over Kansas and, you know, we did all of this stuff where we talked about how Kansas's offense had come back to life. And in this game, Jalen Wilson had seven of the team's 17 field goals in 40 minutes. He was the only player in for the Jayhawks, save for Joseph Yusefu, to have more than two field goals. Yusefu had three. He was the only bench scorer to have a field goal. Um Guys not named Jalen Wilson in the starting lineup combined for a grand total of 18 points. Going to be hard to win basketball games when that's the case. Um, I mean, Iowa State wasn't fantastic offensively in this game either, but Kansas was was really tough. Six of 23 from the three-point line. Of course, that has some of that has to do with Iowa State but and the fact that this game was played in Hilt Coliseum. But just about everything that we had talked about last week about Kansas – went back the other direction and thank the Lord for Jalen Wilson, because if he hadn't played well in this game, then this would have been like a really, really ugly, like 68 45 type of final score. And, um, but either way, Iowa state controls it. They were up by 12 at halftime, just kind of coasted to the victory in the second half, 16 and six, seven and three in the big 12. What say you? Yeah, I believe this was the worst offensive performance in a big 12 game in Bill Self's tenure. Sheesh. We've had a couple of those this year. Like the what was the was it the T T C U Yeah, T C the T C U loss was like the second worst loss against in Fog Allen and the, yeah. the Bill Self tenure. We had a couple of those this year. Yeah, I mean and you you laid out the Kansas side of this I wanted to, which was yeah, they went back to having nobody help again and Jalen Wilson had to do all of it. On the Iowa State side, maybe not spectacular, but Trey King has a good game off the bench. Everybody kind of chips in. It's sort of what they do this season, right? They, they didn't even need somebody to go give them 20. They just need everybody to go give them 10, and that's exactly what they got. The other thing I want to mention real quickly here is, by the way, Iowa State is finally at full strength now. First time all season. Because Jazz Koontz was clearly rusty in this game. But it's very easy to forget with how good they've been that Jazz Koontz wasn't playing. Jazz Koontz was an important part of last season's team and gives you a rebounder, size, the ability to stretch the floor. Another guy who's already familiar with the system because he was there last season. And not at St. Bonaventure like everybody else. Right, right. right. (laughs) And now you get to put him back in with everything else that's already developed. Mm -hmm. This just... And to be clear, like like that's like th- that point serves to the idea that Iowa State could get a little bit better, not exactly. that they were in final form here. Like he was mostly irrelevant. In this game. Right. Oh yeah. He. I mean, he was rusty. Yeah. He's he just couldn't hit a get a shot to go down. Yeah. Right. No. No. That's that's my point. Is that this is the the floor here? Because if he gets going and they find a way to implement him with everything else that's already going well, yeah. I mean. <laughs> they're just really good in a way that 
and so much more consistent than last season. It, there wasn't too much new in this game. We've talked about the issues Kansas is having. We've talked about the things that makes Iowa State great. You saw it on this game. So I wanted to focus on the new development here, which is now Iowa State is finally at full strength with everything at TJ Atzelberger's disposal. I will pump the brakes a little bit here since it's just their third win since January 14th. We're three and four since January 14th. So I'll pump the brakes a little bit here. Like not a ton, but a little bit. Like I still have major concerns about their ability to like win multiple games in the NCAA tournament. Like I'm like I'm still not totally sold on that. As in like not get completely. to a sweet sixteen or get to a final four? Get to a sweet sixteen. Not totally sold on that. They've scored sixty, fifty nine, sixty one, and sixty eight in four of their last seven games. That's in not good enough. In the country. Sure. But this is still also the sixty sixty second best offense in the in the country. I'm just saying, and I know that me saying anything negative about Iowa State creates like a like a allergic reaction for you. Like I get it, but like they only won this game by fifteen because of how poor Kansas was offensively. Like sixty eight yeah. is not a ton. No, no, they could have been better. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just saying. Like, like do they? Res- do they deserve the credit and the consistency that they had last year that they didn't that they have this year that they didn't have in years past? Absolutely. Absolutely. I, and is this team better than any of those other teams that got off to a much better start than you than they were expected to? Yes. Absolutely. I'm just I will just hold on to like I I'll just I'll just hold it because yes, they've lost yes, they're playing in the worst conference best best conference in the country. But they lost to Missouri and Texas Tech in their last two games. Like those are like that's the worst team in the Big Twelve and yeah. a middle of the pack SEC team. I'm just I'm just saying. Yeah. That, now, that I that I am like that we talk about Tennessee having duds. Like like Iowa State has duds. 53, 56, 60, 59, 61 in five of their six losses. That's not good enough offensively. I'm just I'm just saying that I'm not totally sold on their ability to win multiple games in the tournament. I'm just not. Especially yeah, if they and, end up playing like a six, like a solid six seed in the second round. Sure. that could, Yeah. And the other thing too is they don't know how to deal with the press. That has a lot to do with this as well. I like They're, Iowa State. I promise you. I'm not yeah. dogging Iowa State. I'm no, just, no. And it's, I don't want to overreact to a inconsistent Kansas team getting beat by them at Hilton Coliseum. Yeah. That's and all. to me, this is just reinforcing what, I mean, if they could, if they can win two games last year, now I know they had some help in terms of how that schedule went. If they could win two games last year, this team is so much better offensively. I would agree with that. My concern is that's why I asked Sweet Sixteen or Final Four. Yeah, because I'm not convinced they had the offense. And it's the same thing with Tennessee. Are you worried about Tennessee getting to a Sweet Sixteen, or are you worried about Tennessee getting to a Final Four? I would put both of those teams in the same in category. the same category. Okay. I have confidence they're going to get the first two against lesser opposition because they're going to put themselves in a good spot seed-wise. My worry is more that Sweet 16 game, the Elite 8 game. Fair. Fair. I agree with your assessment, though. Yeah, I'm not picking them to make the Final Four. I don't care if they win the Big 12 regular season and the conference tournament. I'm not picking them to make the Final Four. Fair. Yeah, I I, I just – I am – if I'm going to give Tennessee the that level of crap and Virginia that level of crap, like I have to at least sprinkle some crap on it. <laughs> yeah, Virginia's the best offensive team out of those three. Yeah, I just meant kind of in the past, like yeah. over, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, for over sure. the last few years. Yeah, no, it's 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 not a system that's set up for NCAA tournament success. Yeah, I'm with you there. Anywho, they are they are super fun, and and you know they will be. They will be a tough out, even if you have to, even if you have to beat them like 51 to 49, like they're going to make you score all 51 of those points to beat them, even if it's an absolutely atrocious offensive night. But we, we shall need, see. Oh, I can't wait to see them get, and, we need them to play Tennessee. That's what we need. And, and like, that's the last thing I was going to say is that it will probably like what I default to Iowa State making the Sweet 16 at this point. Yeah, probably like if you made me choose. But it, they're also one of those teams that I will be. I will be very curious as to which teams they get in mm-hmm. their bracket. Sure, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because if they get a team that is pretty good on like, like if they end up with Creighton as their oh like yeah six seed, 
or if they stumble yep. down the stretch and end up with them as their five seed and they're they're a four seed kind yep. of thing, sure. Then then I'm really concerned because that's a Creighton team that could play defense with them oh, and yeah. is when healthy better offensively. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Anywho, shout to Iowa State though. Are they alone atop the Big Twelve? Is that correct? No, it's Texas. Oh, it's Texas. Sorry. God, that other Texas, because, Kansas yeah. State. 69-66 at the Little Apple. No, no, sorry. Forget that. 69-66, this wasn't exactly an offensive firepower <laughs> house either. Um, you got 30 points from Tyree Center, Marcus Carr, and Timmy Allen. That's helpful. Um, but really, the the... The charge came off the bench. Christian Bishop yep. had 14. Uh, Serge Abari, my liege, Serge Abari. Uh, Serge Abari Rice had 14 because he got to the free throw line nine times. But hey, whatever gets you there. And they beat Kansas State 69-66. to 66. I mean, like there are a few things that I feel like we've been more spot on about this year than when Kansas State doesn't get like all world performances from their guys that that it's going to be it's going to be tough to to beat the best in the Big 12. Now, they've they've proven that they can, but it's a lot easier when Keontae Johnson and Marquise Noel combined for 50 than 26 on 21 shots. Yeah. It the, the margin of error just gets much smaller and Apart from from Desi Sills, who kind of seems like he's he's about it off the bench almost every night. Um, he had eleven five and three in this game as the team's second leading scorer. That's about all you can count on on a nightly basis offensively. And even Desi has some nights where he's he he doesn't do a ton in terms of the production offensively. And this was among other things another example of that. And I mean, they had this game, and then they yeah. just didn't <laughs> yeah can't just or, but that's what i'm talking about when it comes right. to margin of error yeah it's like it's and, so small right and texas just became a really good offensive team in the second half after being awful offensively in the first half and right. yeah the kansas state performance was never good enough to beat good texas it was just they got bad texas in the first half and great texas in the second half and it wasn't anywhere near enough mm-hmm. yeah christian bishop made a big difference right because you know what you're getting from serge Jabari. But getting a second guy off the bench when you're not getting the best day from your starters is really important. Two things I want to sort of get to specifically. Marquise Noel has more turnovers than made field goals or assists in his last two games. That's not good. At least from what I've I've heard, that's not great. (laughs) And... You know, I was looking back at his turnover numbers. Of course, he's going to have some because he has the ball in his hands all the time. And he's playing against the best defensive conference in the country and the best conference in the country. But it's gotten bad these last two games. And Kansas State is not hanging with Texas, with Kansas at home, as in Fog Allen, when that's the kind of production you're getting from the point guard spot. And a guy that, right, you need to be giving you 20-plus and eight assists in order for you to be at your best and for you to be able to beat these teams unless you get great performances across the board from everyone else. And Keontae Johnson goes for 25. Mm -hmm. That's the other part of this, too, is it's not just that they're not giving you 40, 50 combined every night. It's that Marquise Noel is really struggling right now. And then the other thing, right, so... Texas, here's Texas back in <laughs> back in the top five in control of the Big Twelve, just doing their thing. And I'm not really scared of any of the teams around them at this point. Right? Are you are you scared of if you're Texas, are you scared of Kansas State? Are you scared of Kansas? Are you scared of Iowa State? Are you scared of TCU who's injured? You know, no, and it's it's something I've been thinking about recently that I've never seen a conference so deep that doesn't have a team that I'm all that scared of. Yeah, and then the like, other one is Baylor, who's playing much better. Right. Still have some questions, though, not right. what, what they used to be defensively. Mm-hmm. So on that, right, Kansas, Texas is looking in terrific shape. The interesting thing, though, 
right? So Texas has goes to Fog Allen in hours as we're recording this mm-hmm. and finishes out the season with Iowa State, Baylor, TCU, and Kansas again. So even though I feel really good about where Texas is at, and I think Texas is the best team in this conference, and I'm confident in that, this is still going to be a really interesting end of the season because of the way the schedule plays out. If Texas drops a game somewhere in between, they're not supposed to. Maybe somebody can make a run. If Texas wins at Kansas and then enters this four-game stretch without losing again, or maybe just losing once, they could win this thing by multiple games. Depending on just the way this sets up, I'm very excited about. So, you know, Texas, just from a Big 12 standpoint, Texas's schedule has not been quite as difficult because they have all of these games kind of sandwiched in at the end. So I wanted to bring that into the conversation as well. Yeah, and you know, nature of the big of the Big Twelve that you know games that are not supposed to lose are at home against Fourteenth at Kim Palm, West Virginia, away <laughs> at Texas Tech, who's also top seventy, at home against Oklahoma, who's right. also top fifty six. You know, like it is an absolute gauntlet, and then yeah. you get, and then you get to the point where you get to play those four teams in the season. Right. Yeah. It. Also, can we talk about that West Virginia is 14th at Kempom? Yeah, I was stunned by that when you said that. 14th? They're like higher than TCU and Kansas State. I was going to say, yeah, they're higher than some of these teams at the top of the conference. Yeah. I'm telling you, Kempom's strange this season. Are any of the Big 12 teams elite? Texas. You would consider Texas elite? I'm got, I'm, I had him as one of my five title contenders. I'm banging the drum on this. I'm all in. Okay. That's fine. I I just think it's it's it, because typically there's like a, like there's a team at the top of like a conference this loaded that is like pretty undisputed like elite. Mm-hmm. And th- I'm not sure like this conference doesn't have an undisputed elite team. Like you no. could have the opinion that can that Texas is elite. Yeah. I you could just as easily tell you why Texas is not elite. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's a personal preference. Yeah. Right. And and I just think that's I just think that's interesting because there are, you know, there are two Big East teams ahead of the highest ranked Kempom Big 12 team. There's an American team, of course, you know, there's a West Coast Conference team. Um there's two Pac-12 teams in the top 10. There's only one Big 12 team in the top 10. You know, it just it, it's it's part of why the conference is so good because there's no team just winning so many more games than anybody else. But I just find it to be an interesting, an interesting dynamic that none of those teams are hands down elite, even though that conference is elite. Yeah. And anyway, I just find that interesting. And here's my rationale for that real quick. Sure. You look at the rest of these teams, right? Kansas, we've talked about this idea that sometimes they just don't have offense outside of Jalen Wilson. Kansas State, we've talked about how reliant they are on two players, one of whom is in a stretch of committing turnovers and not playing particularly well. Iowa State, I mean, this would be a a potentially different conversation had they not thrown away, what was it, a 17-point lead at Texas Tech? I mean, they were running them out of the building, and then they lost, right? That's also a possibility there. And Baylor struggled early, has gotten better. They're probably the team I have the second or third most confidence in at this point, but I want to see a little bit more. The only team I feel like who hasn't been up and down, who has just been good, is Texas, right? You're going to lose some games. It's the Big 12. Mm. But I haven't really ever been left scratching my head about what just happened with Texas the way I have at some point pretty much every single other good team in this conference. That's my rationale. That if you can, if you right. can navigate the Big Twelve this way, and you're you know back up to the AP top five, you you deserve to be in the conversation for elite. And I think part of that is because when you look at their efficiency numbers, that Texas is kind of the only one. Kansas is kind of in that conversation, but Texas, Texas and Kansas are the only two that have top. 30 numbers in both offensive yep. and defensive efficiency, mm-hmm. right? Iowa state is great defensively yep. and they seem to get shots when they need them, but they're 62nd in offensive efficiency. Um, 
Baylor is one of the best offenses in, in the country. They are not any good defensively. Seventy nope. fourth in the country in that in that category. TCU is forty first in offensive efficiency, despite being fifteenth in defensive efficiency. And Kansas State is is not in the top twenty five in either category. Um, well, they're twenty fifth in defensive efficiency, but that's but thirty seventh in, in, in offensive. So I think that kind of can play into it as well, yeah. right? Is that some nights when they get enough from their not so great end of the floor, then they can beat anybody. But on a night where kind of those, those holes show themselves, they, they kind of go up and down. Yeah. And I'm also still, I kind of just removed TCU from this conversation because of the injuries, sure. right? You, you're just not hanging with the other teams in this conference when you don't have probably your two most important players. Sure. So I still, I'll have things to say about TCU come NCAA tournament time, assuming they're healthy. It's just a little bit of a conversation because that's kind of where they're up and down came. I mean, they've had a couple bad performances, but a lot of it was right. They're they're in this bad stretch because they're just a different team without Mike Miles. So, but they also still have days where they struggle yes. to score any anything mm-hmm. anything you know yeah. of of meaning yeah. you know. Even, oh, Texas like, is know, easily the most well-balanced team. Easily, yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. For sure. You got anything else? I was going to bring up, bring up Jim Beheim, but I think we covered that one. So, <laughs> um, I, I'm having a really hard time rooting for the Memphis Grizzlies right now. We've, we've had some off-air conversations about this. Is there anything um, new? or just? Continue? Well, you saw what happened on Sunday, right? That there was a report that oh. John Rant's John Rant's peeps basically confronted the Pacers after mm-hmm. the on court alteration, like in the players and the players' parking garage after the game. My the only thing I'll say is this: is that one like that kind of stuff? That's not that's not culture. That's not toughness. That's pathetic and embarrassing. If it you know if it went down like that, and I genuinely have great respect for the athletic and the reporting that they do, so I don't have any reason to suggest that those things aren't true i saw jaw ja went after him i think yeah i mean of course right you're, i mean what are you gonna say yeah we did that right i mean it's like Beheim. that wasn't my intention <laughs> um but the thing like the reason i i i loved the grit and grind grizzlies so much was that there was just one i would much rather root for a team that nobody else cares about like I got people just for no other like last night someone sent me a screenshot of their of of them betting against the Grizzlies and and winning and all it said underneath it was I hate the Grizzlies. It's like great. Thanks. Like and and nobody used to do that. Nobody used to do that because nobody cared about the Green mm-hmm. Grand, Grand Grizzlies except Grizzlies fans and then the other teams who had to come into the FedEx Forum and play them. But you just never heard about anything. Like the worst thing that ever happened in the grit and grind Grizzlies era was that Zach Randolph got caught with a bunch of weed because he is a rich man and I'm sure like many NBA players smokes weed. And like I can it's the same thing as like buying a full tank of gas instead of only twenty bucks. If you can, you might as well, right? <laughs> like, um, so I like I just I was uh, I'm such a big fan of when things like I, I never want to hear about what's going on off the court unless you're like, unless it's like the NBA day of giving and you're shooting hoops at the local Y, right? Like I am, I'm just finding it hard to root for the Grizzlies nowadays. And, um, and that sucks. So it does. Thank you for coming to the other end of my Ted talk on I, this year. Jays for days podcast. You and I are both big on this idea that sports are a lot more fun and fandom is a lot more fun when you, feel like you have something bigger that you're supporting, cheering for. And this is why I fall in love with just specific teams. I think it's where you and I come down on Purdue. It's not that either of us have any allegiance to Purdue. It's just that we're just fans of teams that do and programs and people that do things the right way. Mm-hmm. That that carries a lot of weight with both of us. So I definitely empathize with you. Thank you. That's all I've got though. That's all I've got. I've come down from the, the the rage clouds a little bit, but and we'll see. Maybe it's blown out of proportion a little bit, but it's also one of those things that when I read it, I was like, that doesn't exactly stun me, which is also frustrating. Anywho, you got anything else? 
No. All right. Please subscribe to the Jays for Days podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter at Jays for Days Pod, YouTube, TikTok, Twitter, all of those fun things. Like Josh mentioned, Texas at Kansas tonight on Monday. Marquette is at UConn on Tuesday. A um, couple other top, we got four top 25 matchups on Tuesday. Rutgers at Indiana, NC State of Virginia, and TCU at Kansas State. And then on Wednesday, anything fun there? Not especially, but we'll find something to talk about. All of this to say, we'll have something to talk about on Thursday, and uh, we'll meet you back here then. Thank you so much for listening to this edition of the Jays for Days podcast. I'm Josh. He's Josh. And we will see you 